Get a rare view into the human side of wealth management leaders, innovators, and influencers with the Big Reveal podcast from Suzanne Syracuse in partnership with InvestNet. Tune in and subscribe to find out why she calls it the Big Reveal. Welcome to the Adventure Seed Podcast, a random roller podcast where every show is different. I'm Whitney. I'm Heather. Out of 20 possibilities, we rolled Beetle or, or uh, an 11 three times for our adventure today to talk about the handbook for the recently deceased. <laughs> we rolled, we also rolled for drinks. I rolled up a Diet Coke and I'm having a cocktail in a can. So around and see what chaos we come up with today wait our transition is going to be me opening the can hold on yes could you hear it i could that sounded delightful it did it's a uh, hibiscus hard lemonade oh yum i like hibiscus bitters in my wine with sugar cubes because yeah, nice. i like anything hibiscus hibiscus tea this is by devil's backbone we are in our 13th session. We are doing Beetlejuice. It makes me a little happy. I really enjoy this role. I hadn't, I'd seen the film previously, like one time a long time ago. I didn't remember it well. And so getting to re-enjoy that this week and, and all of the zany silliness that goes with it was like a really nice, a nice pause in, in my ongoing stressful going back to work in the midst of a pandemic preparatory week. So, and then you have people like me who have this movie in multiple formats, who have watched it religiously for many, 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 many years, decades even. And completely identifies with one of the characters so much so that uh, I quote it often. So like Lydia Dietz, totally me. When I was that kid, I was that morbid little kid. I was watching this film and certain things that Lydia said, I was like, Whitney says that all the time. I wonder if this movie copied her. And Garen would just look at me like, babe, the movie probably came first. And I'm like, no, Whitney's so original. I am <laughs> original, but I'm so much in love with like, original only in the thing in the, the theory that nothing is original and everything is an original at the same time. Yes. So when you had put Handbook of the Recently Deceased up on the list, I completely misunderstood. I thought that you were being very, um, how to say this? I thought you were being like really positive about books and their ability to transform you, even if it's a fictional book that doesn't really exist because it's such a dominant feature in a book or movie or TV show or something. And I thought you were going like really highbrow and smart with this. And it turns out that your husband just said, hey, put that on the list as a joke. And it was on our list. Yeah, I 
I thought this was like a legitimate book suggestion that he gave us. I mean, it is. Like when when we were talking about like, okay, we're gonna do this book, and you said it's you do know it's not a real book, right? I was like, what? And so I start Googling. I'm like, it has to be out there. Why would my husband have suggested a not real book? And all I could find were like empty journals that people can write in. He totally I, trolled you. He trolled you. He did. I got tricked. Um, so, but I really, I really like the opportunity that this selection gives us today to take the world of whimsy and fictional books and address how even fictional books can be meaningful. So uh, since you are aware of this book, I'm going to kind of take the top here. Um, and I wanted to go over just some of the, the little bit of the movie and that different insights from the prop book that we've gotten to see has given us. So the first printing of the handbook of the recently deceased was in 1620. And there have been of said book with the last one culminating in 1938 and they've all been printed by the publishing company and I, this is all in air quotes of course of the handbook of the recently deceased press <laughs> and in reality it turns out that this this prop book for the movie was actually a psychology book like a legitimate psychology book from 1941 and they painted the scene on the top of it. So the handbook for the recently deceased, it looks very beautiful and very, um, it's, it's, it looks like it's a beautiful painted scene and it is hand painted. It's for the movie specifically. But I love the fact that they use the psychology book and that there are psychology references throughout the movie. Like once you know that little Easter egg, it's fun to watch the movie and hear them quote the book. I really, ooh, I got weird feedback on my end. I hope you didn't on yours. I did not. Um, oh, good. Uh, we're still digital guys. For those of you tuning in, we are socially distancing. Um, Whitney's at work through the week, I'm at work through the week. So we wanna make sure that we we stay safe. Um, anyway, so one of the things that I really liked about the book is, now, especially now that I know it's technically a psychology textbook, is how confusing it is for um, the two main characters having to utilize it because textbooks can be like super wonky confusing and then manuals are super wonky confusing. And so the fact that this is like secretly a psychology textbook that is for the purposes of the film, a manual, uh, it's just a double layer of, of irony and joy for me because it takes two things and mashes them together to make this. And I really like that. It's really funny that the... Like, so we covered the technical manual. Uh, I think we did the Star Trek Enterprise ship. Yeah. So it's, just, it's technical manuals, textbooks, they're very hard to read. It's really hard to understand. And they they go over it. Like, at first, he's like, it's the handbook for the recently diseased because they don't know that they've died. Like, it's they're unaware. It's so... When you see people or talk to people or artists or authors mm -hmm. theorize... 
about the afterlife and what it feels like to die. Like this movie and this book and and all of this entails is very campy and very it, it it makes you feel like you aren't alone in this weird adulting world that we live in. And then mm-hmm. you have no like we have no idea what we're doing in life. And then again, we have no idea what we're doing in death either. And it's very funny to me. Like it, it hits that <laughs> soft spot. Just in life, you can ask somebody who's been through it with you before. Like, like going into motherhood, I can call other mom friends to be like, or call my own mom and be like, so what do I do about this? But like when you die, you can't ask other people around you ahead of time what to expect. Like you're, you're well, not really ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> but as we clearly see, there is an afterlife civil service government office. <laughs> I so this this movie, I, I think it, it shows its age in making the joke about suicide the way that it does. But well, but I disagree. Like, I think that somebody who has been that, that part, everything can be triggering for someone. But like, to me, and we just talked about in the last episode, I don't handle that witchcraft demonization very well. But like the suicide thing, I find it funny because we have to find, like, I have to find humor in my situation to keep from going that dark. So I loved, I loved that, that little add in. Um, I didn't get the joke. So like when the, the girl behind the counter, like holds up her wrists and she's like, if I'd known what I know now about the afterlife, I wouldn't have had my happy little accident. And she holds up her slit wrists. I'm like, I don't understand what she's saying. Well, because like suicide, you're stuck in the government office. Right. Well, right. Like, like 15 minutes later in the movie, someone says commit suicide ends up a civil servant in the next life. And, and I'm like, oh, I get it now. I think because um, I'm a civil servant in my real life and I'm, I have suicidal ideations, I think that's why I find it so goddamn funny. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's one of those things you got to laugh to keep from crying. Like, that's your punishment. Like, the sloth in, um, what is the, the movie with Judy Bunny? It was Judy Lenny. Judy Bunny, the bunny, like oh, oh, oh. Uh, Zootopia, Zootopia. Yeah, with Zootopia, like the sloth is the 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 DMV, the one in the fast cars, the one that goes vroom vroom. It's just it's it's very ironic and funny to me that you get punished with this weird civil servant job. Yeah, see if it like from my perspective, like somebody that that has done something. I guess terrible if we're equating suicide to doing something terrible to earn civil servitude. Um, I, I I would say that the person in my line of work that would have that punishment, you'd end up having to like fix the copier forever. Well, then that's definitely a civil servant position. Like I don't know if anyone who's worked in a civil servant office whatsoever knows that the cop like the machinery never works. Uh, the like you're always waiting on someone else because you can't do your job without them. Yada yada yada. Yeah. So, as someone who has watched this movie for the first time, what was your favorite part? Uh, my favorite part was was definitely the dinner party scene where they're dancing. 
Were they they're um, possessed by Beetlejuice? Yeah. No, no. I think they were possessed by the the Maitlands at that moment. Okay. Um, but I I liked that dinner party scene. I liked the silliness of it, but I also really just enjoyed Alec Baldwin at a much younger Alec Baldwin than I'm used to encountering him. Right. Uh, <laughs> like, we were like we were like a good like a good solid 15 minutes into the film. And I'm like, this guy looks familiar, but I just can't place him. And well, finally, and Hannah Davis. Yeah. And and so I asked Aaron, I'm like, why do I recognize this guy? And he's like, it's Alec Baldwin. And I'm like, dang, that's like 30 years and 50 pounds difference. And Aaron's like, yes, honey, people get older. Uh <laughs> yeah, but like, like, so again, Gina Davis, she looks so fucking young, too. Yes. She's so itty bitty. They all are. I, I loved it. And uh, Winona Ryder, like, I'm not really sure if she's changed. I think she looks no, the same. <laughs> she and Keanu Reeves drink from the same fountain of youth every morning. Agreed. Um, so just because we are, we're talking about a fictional book, so the book itself, it, it does give them some sort of guidance. And it's very hard to understand. But they they are, they. it's kind of... It's kind of like a binder of rules of which to go by. And it is very difficult to understand, but they do end up using it to their advantage later in the film because they've called on Beetlejuice. And the reason why I wrote the script to say, like you to say, we, we rolled three times. It's, we, you know, it's Beetlejuice. It's three times. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Now you have a poltergeist in your house, Whitney. Yeah, I do. But I'm dog sitting, so it's okay. <laughs> You're going to leave that poltergeist behind. <laughs> um, so what other, like, I have a list. I have a little list of books in pop culture that are fictional that have their very deep-seated followings. Do you have any? Or do you want me to start? Oh, I definitely want to hear your list. All right. So um, there is a, a, a little movie called Labyrinth. I don't know if y'all have heard of it. Ha ha. But oh, she, David <laughs> she reads from her book of Labyrinth to kind of tell the story of the Goblin King. It's not a book that's in real life. It's a book that is sensationalized in that movie to tell this story and to, to kind of bring that narrative forward. I, I think I'm a super gullible person. Because after I saw Labyrinth for the first time in high school, I really wanted to know how the real book ended. And I tried for like a solid month to find that book on Amazon or at McKay's. And I was so upset that it did not exist. But like for an entire month, I was convinced that had to be a real book. Well, and during that same, that same time era, you had The Princess Bride, which also had a book, but they also published a book. Yeah, that went kind of along with the movie. So, like that's a, that's a situation where the book it really is a real book in the in real life too. But Labyrinth isn't. It's not a book normally. We I'm we've also saying, got the the Monster Book of Monsters. What is you, that one in? You know what that's in? It's Harry Potter. Oh right right right. I'm I'm. I have the worst memory. Well, but like you, Harry Potter is your jam. And in fact, like I feel like a couple of your maternity photo themes were. 
Yeah, well, my, my child's middle name, Phoenix, is from Order of the Phoenix. So, like, Monster Book of Monsters. So, she, she ended up publishing Quidditch Through the Ages and something else. But Monster Book of Monsters never has been produced in real life. And it's it's such a prevalent part of that story, I feel. I have another I'm one. Sure it'll end up on Pottermore. <laughs> it is on Pottermore. But that oh, doesn't mean well, it's not it's not a real book. It's not published in real life though. Oh well true. So then you've got the Necro Necronomicon. From the Evil Dead? I have not seen the Evil Dead. Uh, have you seen that really weird book that's like sewn together? It looks like skin. Oh, yeah. It's gross looking. Yeah, it's the Necronomicon. Like everything about that book says you should not pick it up. But I absolutely see you should then- not pick it up because it leads to very bad things. <laughs> <laughs> so then we've got from the mo- the movie Moonrise Kingdom, we have Shelley in the Secret Universe. That's another one I'm not familiar with. I'm going to have to watch a lot of things this week. So Moonrise Kingdom is a Wes Anderson film. And Susie Bishop is, she's 13 or 14 years old. They, they run away from home. She meets the love of her life. They are on this tiny little island in New England somewhere. And she has, she stills, and this is, I love her so goddamn much. She goes to the library and she takes a shit ton of library books. There's like six or seven. And they're all female empowered creature women from, and they're sci-fi stories or fantasy stories. And she takes them in her little suitcase to run away from home. And he goes, aren't those library books? And she's like, yeah, but I take as many as I want. And that's like her like bad girl side is that she steals from the library. <laughs> I love it so damn much. Well, that's so silly. I, know. I like that. I need to watch this. It's a fun movie. I really love Wes Anderson though. Anything that gives bookworms a, a chance to kind of be a little bit badass because they always make bookworms look like these tiny little old ladies in a library and that's not us at all yeah i know i completely agree i myself am strange and unusual so do, do you have any others on your list of fictional i have one more i'm wondering if it's the same one that i think of for mine what's yours Mine is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, girl, it's almost like we have the same brain. <laughs> is that what you have? That's so amazing. Yeah, because I love it. it. Like, it's the book. Don't panic on the cover. Mm-hmm. What do you and like about it? I like, I like just, like, the randomness of the advice that's in it. And... Outside of that universe, the advice just seems so bonkers. But inside that universe, it just makes total sense. And because it makes total sense there, it makes total sense here. Like, never leave your towel behind. There's been so many times where I've been out somewhere and I'm like, if I just had a towel, my life would be better today. Well, because a towel solves so many problems. If you're a real hoopy fruit, you know where your towel is at all times. Yeah. It can serve as a blanket, 
can serve as nutrients. It can serve as so many things. I mean, I was out. Yes, we're we're potty training my son right now, and I was out yesterday, and he had an accident, and I was like, I just need a towel. I did not have my towel. I'm I would be very out of luck in that universe. Um, I called my husband, and I'm like, I need you to bring me a towel, and he did because he's a good husband. But if I took the advice of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy seriously, I would have had my towel. Yep. Well, and like, this is the time of the world where I definitely want to be sticking out my thumb and waiting to get my ride off of this planet. <laughs> yes. There's, there, like, my Instagram is filled with pictures with me with my thumb up in the air. <laughs> like, please get yes, me out of here. I'm just waiting for, like, the dolphins to leave or the whales to go or whatever. Like, it's happening. Yeah, so long and thanks for all the fish. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we, we were talking about the, like, why this was funny that Garen added this to your list or to our list, essentially. And you and I were going to pick up uh, your child from daycare one day. And we were, we were rolling by and I very excitedly screamed and almost made you like you, you slammed on your brakes. Oh, I thought there was like something in the road I was about to hit or an accident was about to happen on this side street with nobody else on it. Right. Um, because because was I was very fucking excited about a Beetlejuice um, mailbox. Yes. And my husband had previously been excited. So it's a black and white mailbox with a green flag. And the little handle that you use to open the mailbox is purple. And my husband had seen that mailbox a couple of weeks previously. And he's like, oh, that person must really like Beetlejuice. And I'm like, it's just a black and white mailbox. I'm not sure why you think that they like anything or not. And he's like, well, because it's obviously Beetlejuice. And I'm like, okay, if you say so. And we went about our day. And then you had this, like, super excited reaction. And I was like, okay, how pop culture relevant is this film that two different people I deeply care about in my life know that exactly what this mailbox is, and I'm sitting here under a rock not having a clue? Like, I have obviously missed something important. I mean, I totally fangirled. Like, it was like, oh! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a moment. And so Beetlejuice has has sunk its claws into us in, in a level that I don't even know that you understand. Like, the shrunken head in Harry Potter, like, it's totally a callback. Like, on the night bus, it's totally a callback to the witch doctor in Beetlejuice. Yeah, and I, I see that now that I've seen the Beetlejuice movie. I just missed so many important, like, because I didn't see Beetlejuice or maybe, like, when I was in early college watching it, I didn't appreciate it because I didn't know what it was. I'm like, oh, this is just an old campy movie that people like, whatever. Um, I miss other pop culture references that are in subject matters that I love, like Harry Potter, that do throw back to those things. And so, like, watching Beetlejuice this time has given me a better appreciation for the little elements that pop up in other things that I love or my child care sitter's neighbor's mailbox. Yeah. And it's just, it's just so much fun whenever you, 
get to touch base with these weird little bits of our lives and the history. Like I didn't watch Beetlejuice the first, like when it was popular at the beginning, I didn't watch it because I was, I grew up, we're, we're both in the Bible belt and yeah. very anti goth, very anti death, very anti um, anything not super religious. So I didn't get to see a lot of that either. But the difference between you and I is when I was a young adult, that's when I I was first exposed to Beetlejuice and then just fell in love with it and, and got stuck in that, that vein. Whereas yeah. you were doing a little bit different. You were doing the manga thing and you got into that whole vein. You've got the Sailor Moon. We're just on two different. I'm very gothic and very like skeleton and death and days of the dead and de los muertos and all that shit and then you you just took a different culture vein but yes. like we, we are very much the same goth girls just two different flip sides of that coin i think what's also important like yes i went the manga route but i also really love like foreign film like foreign language film so a lot of the american pop culture references i have not exposed myself to whereas you you really enjoy movies from like the 80s and 90s and music from those eras. So you you understand Western pop culture in a way that I never will. Or if I do eventually understand it, I've come to the game real late. Yeah, and that's okay. Like one of my favorite things about our show is that as a random roller podcast, and what I mean by random roller and what you mean by random roller is like we, we make a list of 20 options and we don't make that with, there's some things that, that you and I have personally added to the list, but we also leave it very vague and open to interpretation. And so it could be anything. It genuinely could be anything. We did fisherman articles. We've done NASA articles. We've done a children's book. We've done, we've done all kinds of weird shit. And I love, I love that this got added to our list in the way that it did having no foreknowledge of what it was because it just, it just, no one, no one geeks the same. And in our geek community, we've gotten so much geek hatred and like, you can't, you've got a geek, right? You've got You have to know everything about the thing that you're interested in or your, all your opinions are invalid. And that's just the case with me. And I don't think that's the case with you. Like, you 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 geek out you love it and we love to sit back and watch you geek well and i was super excited my husband wanted to contribute to our list because we've asked listeners to make suggestions to us and and my husband is one of our like nine listeners <laughs> and hey we have gotten to 12 listeners i think like on we, average like we were at 10 listeners on average and now i think we're on 12 listeners on average according to our numbers so yeah that's and well, and our numbers can be misleading because we only get download counts. So if you all are live play listening, we don't know about you. So shoot us a message. But um, but yeah, so I was super excited. My husband wanted to participate. He wanted to put this on the list. I now feel a little duped. I might research his suggestions next time. So I, I don't please don't. Please don't. Please do not research because Darren and I like <laughs> I so Garen, me, and you cover three different generations that's very true and so three please do not edit his list 
<laughs> well, we, we all, all three of us geek in very different ways. So something Garen suggests to our list is not going to be something that you or I would have ever thought to put on our list usually. That's true. And like, I love to, I like, I would love to say that I geek more his way or I geek more your way, but I geek my own way. And then I have a little bit of each of you. Yes. So I love it. Yeah, no, but I really enjoyed doing uh, Beetlejuice Deceased. And for those of you who, who are interested, it is a real book in the real world, but it's just a line journal and you can make your own shit up. Like whatever it is that you want to do, make it, write it in blood, like consecrate that shit and send it off into the universe. Absolutely. And for those of you that have really deep pockets and have to have the actual real book. I um, think there's a few replicas. Well, you can buy the prop copy that they used in the film. I thought they auctioned it off at the end of last year. They did, and I'm sure it'll come up for auction again, but you have to have really deep pockets to be able to get those. How much did it go for? Do you know? Uh, I'm trying to Google it right now. Um, I want to say that it was in the multi-thousands of dollars. I mean, it was a big deal because it was at the end of 2019 when it went on to auction, I think. Yeah. I'm not immediately finding it, but we'll happily include that in our show notes for you guys. So the, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll look that up. We may or may not include that in our show notes. We don't want to make promises we can't keep. We'll do our best. But if at the end of this, we're not going to like play the music because we're not allowed to. But if you want to jump in the line and dance your night away with us in Beetlejuice, we're doing it right now in our minds. So like jump in the line. Sorry, I've had a few drinks. <laughs> I like Do it. Do you want to let's roll up because I think it's my oh it's my turn to roll up. Can I roll yeah. up? Roll for it. While I'm dancing in my conga line, oh, wait, I are we am going to roll? I have rolled a six. A six is current Batman comic. Sounds. Oh wait 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 wait. I'm, I think I'm scratching that. I'm scratching that. I am yeah, I not supposed to roll up. I think that has to be two. Up. We can still keep that for two episodes from now. But we rolled something a while ago that we're almost done reading. And I think that that, that needs to be our next episode. Yeah, that totally takes precedence. Okay, you all, you're going to be so excited because what we have <laughs> previously rolled up and that's going to be for this the next episode after this is... A book by Thomas A. Farmer, Farmer, called Scourge of Gods. It's a trilogy. He is a Knoxvillian who has made his own way through life in the author industry. He's totally amazing. We're very excited. So that's going to be our next thing. I think we rolled that like 10 sessions ago. So thanks for your patience. It was way less than 10 because, yeah, it was way less than 10, but it was like a month ago. It's just, I'm an adult. It's really hard to read a book now. Yeah. Like a book book. Yeah, books take a special kind of concentration and dedication. Yeah, I agree. Um, I rolled a 16 for my drink. So I 
good to have a whiskey my way. Ooh. What did you roll? I rolled a nine. You need a Sprite. <gasps> Yay. You are a Sprite and you get to drink a Sprite. That makes me so happy, especially since it's been so hot lately. That lemon lime is going to be so refreshing. Very nice. So it does look like we are going to be reading Scourge of the Gods by Thomas Farmer for next time. Mm -hmm. I am jumping ahead because I totally forgot about our... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a little tipsy. I totally forgot about our business plug that we wanted to do. The best part about a random roller podcast with randomly rolled drinks is that sometimes you can get a little tipsy. This this hibiscus hard lemonade totally is fucked me over. Jesus. Our business plug this week is for the Narrow Ridge Natural Burial Preserve. It's the first contemporary green cemetery in the state of Tennessee. It differs from conventional cemeteries in that it's expressly intended to be free of embalming fluids, concrete vaults, non-biodegradable caskets, and chemical fertilizers. Grave markings of native plants and modestly sized flat markers of stone native to the area are permitted. In time, they hope that the site will return to a natural forest with trails that provide access to grave sites. We really like this business because we've talked about conservation and how important it is in past episodes. And graveyards, like traditional graveyards, just take up so much space and so much land. And then you can't really do anything with it once it's full. And eventually, like, everyone who knows who's buried there is going to die too. Like, sorry to be so morbid, but it's true. So this is, is a really... True? Yeah. This is a really nice way that you can put your loved ones to rest and not destroy the land to do so. And even after everyone is long gone that knows who that person was, people can still enjoy this park. And so I really like this, this natural burial um, idea. I think it's a great alternative and it's very eco-friendly. Well, and not only that, but green cemeteries and natural, natural, uh, uh, not, I can't remember what it's called, but it's something, so, I can't, it's a whole industry mm -hmm. in the community, like in, in the country now where you get to be part of the burial process. So like you can get turned into a fucking tree, you can get turned into anything. And I love that they are trying to do this in a way that like where I'm buried now in 15 years, 10 years, somebody else can be buried. And that's because it's just it's going on and on for the future. It's, it's, it's not this weird 10 acres that's covered in stones and no, like there's boxes in the ground and nothing can happen from it. Right. And it's some, some states and some countries around the world have laws that like once something is a cemetery, like that's it. You cannot destroy that land to make it something else. And as our population continues to grow and as we continue to face housing crisis after housing crisis, that's just not sustainable. We're going to run out of room. So this is a nice way to, to keep the land 
natural and also to make room for future generations to be buried. Well, and so some benefits of a natural burial is a way to honor the natural rhythms of a life cycle. Connecting to distant ancestors, it's a way of uh, uh, reducing the extraction of metals and other resources that the conventional ways, uh, you know, consume. And it's also a way of reducing toxicity, like toxic chemicals that are found in all the embalming fluids, lawn fruit, like all those, all those things. So it's just, it's a nice way to honor the dead and still honor the living at the same time. Absolutely. So I jumped ahead and I said, it looks like we'll be reading Scourge of the Gods by Thomas Farmer for next time. <laughs> so uh, we definitely had another fun one off here today, or at least I did, here at Adventure Seed Podcast today. You can follow our quest, Adventure Seed Podcast, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And wherever you get your podcasts, make sure to always search all three words, Adventure Seed Podcast. May the dice always be in your favor. Roll well. Oh, wait, I didn't do the thing. Shit. Oh, yeah, you got to turn it off. I mean, like, you know, it's kind of fun. to the human side of wealth management leaders, innovators, and influencers with the Big Reveal podcast from Suzanne Syracuse in partnership with InvestNet. Tune in and subscribe to find out why she calls it the Big Reveal. Where do you want the roofing business to take you? To a nicer house? To family vacations? A comfortable retirement? Wherever you're going, GAF contractor programs and products can help you get there. Visit gaf.com slash get there.